0: Take a second. I know you've been listening for a second. Take, take just a moment. And if you're, if you're not sitting with a person that you don't necessarily know very well, then this might be a good opportunity. I know you just greeted each other. Um, but, but turn to somebody near you and ask this question. How long can you hold your breath? Go ahead. Just ask ask that question. How long can you hold your breath? What did we hear? How long can? What's the longest that we heard? Anybody say they can hold their breath for over a minute? Nobody. Jason thinks he can hold his breath over a minute. Ready? Go. No. Uh, anybody like ten seconds? I got like no no lung capacity going on over here. Uh, yeah. Anybody just need a miracle right now to catch your next breath? All right. So did you know that the world record for holding your breath underwater is held by a guy, and apologies for butchering his name, uh, he's from Croatia, but Budimir Sobat uh, broke his own record for holding your breath underwater on May of 2021. He held his breath for 24 minutes, 37.36 seconds. Now, I heard you say that's not possible. I, I watched him do it, okay? Uh, I wasn't in the room. I didn't go to Croatia and see this happen. But YouTube exists. And I watched on the Guinness uh, YouTube channel, this man, he took a couple deep breaths. He did his, like all of his prep work. He had a couple of guys there like minding him. Like, I, he had like a, like a, some kind of gauge, some kind of technology keeping his pulse, making sure he didn't die while he was down there. Uh, And so these two guys are just there kind of keeping a hand on him and he for, for 24 and a half minutes held his breath and they had a camera actually under the water just pointed up at his face and he's just like annoyingly peaceful the whole time like the whole time all the way to the very end in fact he's so calm the entire time that at the end he's just kind of laying out there on his like floating in the water with his face down in the water the whole time and he puts his hands up on the on the side of the pool and he's just like drumming a beat on the side of the on the side of the pool and then they told him when he had broken the record and then he counted 1 2 three, on his fingers until he was done, and he just casually, at the end of it, he just casually just lifted his head up out of the water, kind of stood up in the water, and went, (sighs) I can't even tell you how annoyed I was by this person, right? (laughs) It just was like, you break a record and it didn't even look hard. You could have gone for a solid half hour. Like, why didn't you just go further? It's almost like he was planning, like, oh, we'll be back, we'll do this again. We'll just, we'll do the hard one next year, right? Uh, It's insane, 24 minutes. Now, you may be aware of this, you probably feel this based on your own answers. The average person at rest begins a new breath every two seconds. Now I am aware that because I'm talking about this today, you are going to be more aware of your breathing than you normally would be. But I'm talking about just like as you're sitting down, watching a TV show or eating dinner with your family or enjoying a cup of coffee, uh, as you're just a person at rest, the average person begins a new breath about every two seconds, all right? So one to two seconds, you're taking a brand new breath. But here's the next question. What happens when you hold your breath? Now, not for Budimir Sobat, who is the annoying guy from Croatia, but what happens to you when you begin to hold your breath? Panic, somebody says panic, right? You begin to kind of stress out a little bit. Your heart rate goes up. It's elevated, right? You begin to feel that kind of tension in your temples. If you've really been holding your breath for a long time, especially if you're underwater, uh, it begin, you begin to feel like a tightness in your chest here and kind of here. And everything inside of you is telling you you have to breathe. Get to the place where air is because you are. your body is telling you to fight to live. Because what you need to survive is air. And so if you're underwater, you come out of the water and unlike Budimir Sobat who comes out of the water and he just goes (sighs) like he just took a pleasant stroll through the wilderness or something. Uh, You come out of the water and if you are desperate for air, what are you doing? That first gasp. It's not a breath. It's a gasp, right? You come out of water and your hair goes all flipped back like this and you go... (gasps) right? Oh my goodness, that was, I'm never swimming again. And for like the next 20 minutes, you're breathing like this, right? And then, right? Because you need air to live. Interestingly, this is exactly the same reality for our spiritual lives. You see, we live in a world that is telling us that you could go and find life in all other kinds of resources, in all kinds of other places, that life and, and peace and joy and, and goodness and happiness, that's what we're really all after is happiness and maybe some money, because that makes more happiness, right? That you can go and find all of these things out in the world. But look around at the world. Aren't we all gasping? Desperate. We are... We're searching, and what happens for desperate people? They get panicky. And what happens to panicky people? Oh, they divide, they hate each other, they go to war, they kill each other, they say terrible things about each other, they tear each other down, because if I can't tear you down, there'll be more air for me. This is the world that we live in. We are desperate people gasping for life. The reason for that is because your soul knows better than that you can find life in all of those other places. David wrote about this in Psalm 139. He says, "I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well." I love the translation actually that says, "And this my soul knows full well." Deep down inside of every single one of us, whether we have a relationship with God or not, we are all we all know that we were created we all know it, at a soul level that we are searching for something, and that something that we are searching for is like a person searching for an air, a, a breath of air, because they are going to die. Deep down in our core, all humans know this truth. We are, cre- we are created beings, and we are spending our lives like, like children, are lost at the zoo looking for their parents. We are looking for life. All of the desperation in the world is, is just the result of the human soul gasping and struggling for life. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like The source of your life was far away from you and you were just gasping, just struggling, just striving. Pastor Mark was talking about that earlier. We just find ourselves striving to survive. Okay, so this week, because I know you have felt this way, because I have felt this way. On the tail end of talking about the power of God for the last multiple weeks as we finished a series on spiritual gifts, today we are starting a brand new series that I believe is as important to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical So for the next several weeks, at least the next three weeks after today, we're going to begin a series rooted in an ancient spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline that is called practicing the presence. Now, when I say ancient, by the way, I don't just mean that like, The church fathers did this thing. We'll talk a little bit about that today uh, to kind of put this into some historical context of some other people who've who've practiced this throughout church history. But when I say ancient, I actually mean that this practice goes as far back as humanity itself. In, In the creation story, you read about this in the book of Genesis. The creation story, the story of mankind, doesn't begin in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world and our relationship between us and God was broken. And the world became an unhealthy, broken place. That's not when the story begins. The story actually begins when God said, let there be light. And by the power of his words, he created light. And then he created light the world. And then he created mankind by the power of his words. And he created mankind to be in relationship with him. He gave us the ability to have dominion over all of the birds of the air, the animals of the land and all of the fish that are in the sea, to have dominion over the world, which is different than dominance, but that's a different sermon. He created us to have dominion, to steward well The gift that we were given, and to live in intimate relationship with Him. But at the moment that sin entered the world, in fact, we can read the account of that moment in Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 7, this is immediately after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit that was forbidden them. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, which, by the way, a friend of mine um, who has preached here, Amy Selby, uh, she says that that sentence right there, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, she said that's the moment in human history when we switched from dominion to dominance. We began to use the resources of the world not to steward and not to bring glory to God, but to cover ourselves. The world wasn't a gift to steward anymore, it was a resource to be used so that we would feel better. It's pretty interesting, right? You might begin to ask some questions about what then is our responsibility to the world in a restored kingdom of heaven that's meant to be here on earth as it is in heaven. But again, another sermon. Verse 8, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Pause here. Uh, It does not clearly say that Adam and God had like a noon time or an afternoon uh, walk scheduled every day. It it doesn't say that. So I I don't want to infer or add something to Scripture that isn't said here. It doesn't overtly tell us, and so Adam and God, or or, or Adam and Eve and God, had a stroll through the garden in the cool of the day. It doesn't tell us that. The implication is not what they physically did. The implication is they had enough relationship that as God was walking in the garden, it was like nothing for him to go, Hey, Adam, where are you? Adam, I'm looking for you. I can't see you. Where are you? Now, God, who knows everything, knew full well where Adam was. He was not expressing the, the lostness of Adam's physical presence. He was actually making the very first expression of the lostness of Adam's soul. Adam, as I walk through the cool of the garden where I'm used to having intimate relationship with you, I am aware that you are no longer with me. Where have you gone? He couldn't not find Adam, but Adam was lost. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The story goes on. God asked him, who told you that you were naked? And ultimately, it was his sin that revealed and introduced shame into the world. And it goes on, but again, we were created to enjoy the presence of God, and this is the moment. That we fell from purity. This is the moment in human history that we fell out of relationship with God. Our intimacy, our ability to be in the presence of God without shame was lost. And mankind has been hiding from God's presence ever since. We are afraid of him. We are ashamed of him. We will go to incredible lengths to deny that he exists just because the idea that we would be in the same room with him is so terrifying to us. We're striving to get away from a God that we know created us at a soul level and that we know we need to be in his presence to live. And so no wonder we are so torn and conflicted, no longer, no wonder we are so uh, desperate and divided, fighting for something of life because what our soul knows that we need is the very thing we are afraid to get into the presence of. This is the description of the fallen state of mankind. Thankfully, the good news, Jesus, right? Jesus comes and he makes it possible for us to be welcomed back with open arms back into the presence of God because Jesus lived a sin-free life. He died on the cross. He resurrected from the dead, conquering death and the grave. Three on the third day after his crucifixion. And all of the theology, which if you have questions about, sign up for Four Square Path. And, and all of the reasons that, that we are now able to be into in the presence of God is all rooted in this one work of Christ. We can be in the presence of God now because of Jesus. Praise God. Yeah, no, that was an instruction. Praise God. You can be in the presence of God because of Jesus. So praise Him. So I, I would propose to you as we begin this series that practicing the presence of God, or what we'll simply refer to as practicing the presence during this series, is the breathing of the kingdom of heaven. Practicing the presence is the breathing of Of the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to use some metaphors like that today uh, so that we can understand and lay a foundation for this discipline. In fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to examine the ways that this practice will help us live into Jesus' promise, which he said in John 10 I came that they might have life and have it abundantly so today as we launch this series, my goal is to lay a foundation for this discipline that we're calling Practicing the Presence. And then to invite you to consider what it would actually look like for you to practice it in your life. That said, practicing the presence of God begins with a right understanding of God. So in this message, I want to draw your attention to three Metaphors. Each of the three metaphors will point us to a truth about God, about his character, about who he is, and then explain to us the simplicity and the beauty of practicing the presence. And so with that, let's launch this series by getting into our first metaphor about God that will help us understand who he is and engage this discipline of practicing the presence of God. Our first metaphor is this. God is like Air. Turn to your neighbor who you were, breathe, were talking about breathing a minute ago and just say, God is like air. Okay, now everybody take a breath. Been thinking about our breathing for a little while today. Doesn't it just feel nice? Take a breath. Sometimes when I'm preaching, it's nice to just kind of pause. Okay, just take a breath, Tim. Just breathe. Now, notice that we didn't call this series Finding the Presence of God. We're calling it practicing the presence. This is because wherever you go, you're already in God's presence. Now, theologians refer to the the being everywhere of God's nature as omnipresence. Can you say that word with me? Say omnipresence. Omnipresence. Now, present is a word which means here, close to, next to, near, or attending. And omni is a word that ascribes the allness to the presence. Okay? It's a word that means in all places or in all things. So to say something is omnipresent is to say that, to say that God is omnipresent is to say that he is always present in every place at all times. He is omni everywhere, all at once present. A.W. Tozer, in a book that he wrote called The Knowledge of the Holy, writes, the scriptures teach that God is infinite. This means that his being knows no limits. Therefore, there can be no limit to his presence. He is omnipresent. His infinitude... In his infinitude, he surrounds the finite creation and contains it. There is no place beyond him for anything to be. God is our environment as the sea is to the fish and the air to the bird. Now, I want to be clear here, theologically speaking... When we talk about the omnipresence of God, we are not saying, God is in everything. You can find your way to God through everything. If you just sit on a rock and contemplate your navel for long enough, you will find God. This is not sound doctrine. To say that God is in everything is not accurate. But to say that God is everywhere, at all times, all at once, is theologically sound. Right? God is not in your sinful behavior but he is with you while you practice it. Do you see the difference? So we want to understand this, uh, the, that what we actually are saying, God is always everywhere. He is everywhere present at every time. In other words, you have never been anywhere that God is not present and is not still present. Which if you don't know Jesus would be terrifying. <laughs> I mean, think about, Think about just don't tell your neighbor, but think about the last time you sinned. Okay, stop thinking about it. God was there. And you've moved on from from that place and God is still there. Because God didn't show up there because you showed up. When you got there, wherever there was at that moment, God was already there and he still is there. He hasn't moved on from that place. And guess what? He didn't leave when you walked away from that place. He didn't stay. He also went with you. Because you've never been in a single place where God was not. But because of Jesus, we can also understand that we have never been anywhere that God was not actively and presently loving us. So when we say that we feel that we are far or near, far from or near to God, that's not a spatial term. That's a relational one. And you understand this because you can be sitting right next to someone and feel far from them relationally. Have you ever needed uh, relational reconciliation? If you've been married, you have needed relational reconciliation. If you're a parent, you have needed relational reconciliation. And if you're a child or ever were one, you have needed, if you ever went to school, you have need, if you have a job, you have need, if you ever drove on the 405. You have needed relational reconciliation. You can get very close to people on that freeway, but be very far from them relationally. Right? So we understand that this can be true about God. It is true for him to simultaneously be near to us spatially, physically. Even We say spatially is a better word because he's not physical in, in the way that we are bound the physical he could be near to us spatially and far from us relationally right because he is omnipresent i consider the way that david wrote about this in one of my favorite psalms in in the entire book of psalms in psalm 139 right in the middle here in verse 7 it says where can i go to escape your spirit where can i flee from your presence if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the by the way, Sheol is, is we won't get too deep into it, but basically we could transliterate that for ourselves in our modern language. We could say, if I, make, uh, if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there, which is very interesting. Or if I, if I make my bed in the grave, you are there. It's actually probably the best illustration. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. Uh, Then he goes in verse 9. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Now, David's not saying darkness and light are, are alike to me because I live in your presence. He's saying to you, God, everything is the same. It's darkness and light. It's the same. You can see through it all. So again, we are never not in God's presence. So practicing the presence is not about working to get into God's presence. We spend so much time striving to get into God's presence. It's not about working to get into God's presence, but it is about intentionally choosing to be aware of God's presence. Just like I helped you to be aware of oxygen today, take a a deep breath. I'm helping you. Every time I've done that for you today, I've helped you to be aware of air. And I don't know that any one of us felt compelled at any moment to go, thank you, air. And yet that is what practicing the presence would be like. And if God is like air, then you would, what does it look like in a spiritual sense for you to, thank you, God, that you are here. God is like air. Practicing the presence is not about working to get into his presence, but being intentionally aware. Could you imagine being willfully aware of oxygen at all times? Could you imagine if every one to two seconds that you were in the middle of a thought, you would never get any work done. If you were in the middle of whatever it was that you were doing and you were like, hey, how are, hey, it's good. Because you had to just, you would give yourself the hiccups. And yet, we're invited to become aware of the thing that is like air in a spiritual sense, God himself. Imagine thinking about God in every moment, somewhere in your mind that you would hold space for God in every moment. That is what practicing the presence aims to do. It begins with the awareness that God is everywhere, like the air that we breathe, and then choosing to be aware of God's presence in every moment. So again, God is like air. You have never been without him, and you are invited to live aware that your life depends on his presence. And so God is like air. And then for our second metaphor of the day, we say also that God is like good ground. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is like good ground. Now, the image of trees and soil, or ground, is seen multiple times in Scripture, and probably one of my favorite ones is in Ezekiel chapter 47. We have the the vision that Ezekiel has about a river that flows out of a temple, and the river goes deeper and wider as it goes. It's measured multiple times, and along the side of the river, there are all of these different kinds of trees, of all different kinds, giving all kinds of different fruit. In every season, their leaves are green all year round, and these these are the trees that are planted it says along the bank of the river of life the trees that are close to the river are thriving and if you walk away from the bank of the river it says it's all marshy ground this is Ezekiel 47 it's all marshy ground nothing of life can grow or be sustained away from the river and so here we see that in this in this imagery in this prophetic vision that Ezekiel had we are like the trees and God is like the good ground Paul actually uses this metaphor in the New Testament when writing to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, he says, Let your roots grow down into him, that him there is Jesus Christ, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. We'll talk about fruit in just a few minutes, but imagine a life overflowing. If your life is like a tree that is rooted in the good ground of God, imagine what that would look like. I love, by the way, the the way that Eugene Peterson puts this in the message paraphrase of the same verse in Colossians 2.7. He says, My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well-constructed upon Him. You know your way around the faith. Now, do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Practicing the presence of God is the willful choice to root your entire life in Him to position yourself so that everything that you do grows out of your connection to God because God is good ground. Ask yourself this just as you take like a quick evaluation of your life. I'm not asking you to say anything to your neighbor right now, but ask yourself this. What parts of your life would still work if God were not involved? Now, you want to say nothing, but how many times did you go to work last week and not think about him? How many times did you brush your teeth? When was the last time brushing your teeth was a spiritual practice? He was there. So glad you're taking good care of the gates of the temple. (laughs) Life Church is now going to have like the whitest teeth. We're just taking care of the gates of the temple. <laughs> what was the last thing you watched? Last time you checked your phone? Last social media app you used? Last game you played? Last conversation you had? Were you aware? I mean, how many things did you do this week without having to say, God, help me unlock the door to my car right now? God, help me change lanes. God, I'm aware that you are with me as I tie my shoes this morning. Now, I am so aware that those things could be, they're so menial, so tactile and and practical that it is so easy for us to go, Tim, come on, you're, I mean, this is really too much. You're saying that I'm supposed to tie my shoes in the name of Jesus? I mean, yeah. 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 What would it look like to build a life that you were aware of where those things are going to carry you all day? Tie them in the name of Jesus. God, every single place that I go, as I tie these shoes, would you keep me tied together and carrying your presence with me everywhere that I go? And, we can, and the, let me just say a hard thing for a second. If there is anything inside of us that feels like, man, tying my shoes in the name of Jesus feels like, too much, then I propose to you that the kingdom of heaven is still too much for you. That life in the presence of God is overwhelming for you. And there is a place in scripture that says that the reason that we do not know yet know fully the love of God is because we fear punishment. But the love of God casts out all fear. I propose to you that it is not a critical spirit that makes you not wanna tie your shoes in the presence of Jesus. I propose to you that it is fear of the presence of Jesus. Because if you're really honest, I mean if we really took the time to survey our soul, the reason we don't find it so easy to eat our cereal in the name of Jesus Or drive our car in the name of Jesus or look at our neighbor in the name of Jesus or put a mask on in the name of Jesus or go to work in the name of Jesus or withdraw money from the ATM in the name of Jesus or pay for gas in the name of Jesus or preach the gospel in the name of Jesus. It's because our lives aren't so deeply rooted in him that he actually affects everything that we do. And this is the goal of the kingdom because the goal of the kingdom is to restore what we lost. What was lost? Intimate presence with God that was so close that when God walks in the cool of the day in the garden, that he would say, I'm aware that your soul is not near me. Practicing the presence is insisting in every moment God is with me and everything about my life is rooted in the presence of God. How many things do you do as if God were not present? Or maybe the question you can be asking yourself this week is, how much time am I spending today intentionally being aware of God's presence? By the way, Paul talked about this in Acts chapter, tw- uh, chapter 17, rather, in verse 28. He describes this as, he says it like this, in him we live and move and have our being. Like everything, he's saying literally everything we live and move and have our being, everything about us is in Christ. And so then the discipleship question for us is, is that true of you? That everything about you is rooted in Christ. Practicing the presence is not about confining your entire life to a solitary room alone with God. So I know that I'm always practicing the presence of God because I'm never outside of this room where I know that he is. But neither is it simply inviting God to tag along with you for the life that you already built without him. It is about building an entire life out of him, from him, and with him. Practicing the presence is about rooting your life in God so that you can enjoy the work of growing your life in, out of, and alongside of God and allowing anything connected to the world, the flesh, and the devil not to be cast out with great effort, but to naturally wither and fall off the vine of your life because it is no longer necessary. I have found something Now, there's hundreds of practices that you could engage to build that kind of life. You could read your Bible every single day. You can pause to pray every single day at a certain time uh, or or multiple times throughout the day. You could have regular engagement with church community. So many of you practice this regularly. That's why you are here right now. Uh, You could fast. You could practice generosity. The list goes on. But practicing the presence is as much about your regular work as it is about your worship. In other words, God is everywhere, and if he is, then you can practice his presence while doing almost anything. There's a classic example of this. There's a 17th century monk, a French monk named Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was once given the job at the monastery where he lived to be the cook for a season. And, and, and in all honesty and transparency, he, he confessed that when he was given this job, he did not want to do it. He was not excited about being the cook. Mainly, he said, because he didn't want to do the dishes. But he made a habit of practicing God's presence in everything that he did. And in the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, which is a book inspired by conversations and letters with Brother Lawrence, it was once observed like this As Brother Lawrence had found such an advantage in walking in the presence of God, it was natural for him to recommend it earnestly to others. But his example was a stronger inducement than any arguments he could propose. In other words, people watching the way he lived was a better argument for practicing the presence than him trying to debate you into it. His very countenance was edifying, such a sweet and calm devotion appearing in it as could not, be, not but affect the beholders. And it was observed that in the greatest hurry of the busyness in the kitchen, he still preserved his recollection and heavenly mindedness. He was never hasty nor loitering, but did each thing in its season with an even, uninterrupted composure and tranquility of spirit. The time of busyness, said he, does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while so several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. Brother Lawrence models practicing the presence in the everyday kind of stuff. And that is what it looks like to deeply root your life into Christ. To understand that God is with you everywhere you go. And to intentionally go to work with him. Which is different than going to work for him or coming to church on Sunday and then going to work from him. But I live with him. I live and move and have my being with him. So God is like the air that we breathe. And we're invited into regular, constant awareness of his presence. He is like good ground that we root our lives into. And our third metaphor is that God is like a farmer. Jesus once, once taught a parable about a farmer scattering seed onto different kinds of soil. If you've read Matthew, then in the 13th chapter, you would have found this parable. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the farmer scattering seed on the, on the, on the ground and the multiple different kinds of soil. So the first kind, he scatters on the path, some of it falls on the path and the birds come and they eat that because it has nowhere to get into the ground. Then there's the rocky soil and the seed grew up quickly, but then it quickly withered away because it didn't have strong roots. The soil was too rocky. And then there's thorny soil, which what grew up there was eventually choked out by the thorns around it. And then there was the good soil, which grew and produced a harvest up to even a hundred fold of what was planted. Later, Jesus explains this parable to his disciples. He says, the seed is like the word of God, which makes God the farmer. And the different kinds of soil represent the way people receive and respond to the word. So again, God is the farmer, scattering seed and hoping that the seed will bear fruit. We actually call that fruit something in Christian language. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. And this fruit looks very different than the fruit of the world, or the fruit of what we might call the flesh. In Galatians 5, actually, Paul described the fruit of the, or the works of the flesh. He gives 15 things, but because uh, there's some kids in the room, I won't list all of them. Here are, here's an example of some of the things he lists. Immorality, impurity, idolatry, jealousy, anger, and divisions. Just, that's just a few of the things that he says are the works or the fruit of the flesh. In other words, he's saying, left to yourself as you're gasping for air and striving for life. These are the sorts of fruit that you will produce in your life. And he goes on to write in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. By the way, notice here in my translation, I like this. it, It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is There's a wholeness, a oneness to this list. The fruit of the Spirit are all these things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, by saying against such things there is no law, he's saying in the kingdom of God, these things are not only just permissible, but rubber stamped by God himself. These are the things that God wants to see in the, in the answer to the prayer, God, on earth as it is in heaven, let your will be done here, God. And his answer would look like the fruit of the Spirit. These nine things. We just spent uh, uh, several weeks looking at a list of nine other things. We talked about the, the spiritual gifts And you might think about this, if you've been with us for that series, you might understand this, that if the gifts of the Spirit point to God's power, then the fruit of the Spirit points to God's character. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the presence of God. If God, in other words, if God were to grow his kingdom in you, this is what it would look like. It would look like God leading your life to something. It would look like you... Doing the sorts of things that Jesus would do if he were living your life. Which, by the way, that's what Dallas Willard would call discipleship. Living as if Jesus were the one living my life. So, when everything falls away about your life, the the character of God, the culture of heaven, the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them will remain. When everything is said and done, do you realize that when we live in the eternal presence of God, we call that heaven. When, when the story is over, completely finished, and we are living for eternity in the presence of God, do you know how we will interact with each other? Do you know how we will engage God and the people around us? We will engage love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why would we behave any other way? We are living fully in the realized kingdom of heaven, in the presence of God for all eternity. So it follows that to practice the presence would be to engage these fruit now. You know that you are practicing the presence of God well. If when you might naturally react to situations from the flesh, you find yourself responding from the fruit of the Spirit. So instead of hating your enemies, you find yourself offering love. Instead of sulking when you don't get your way, you can hold on to joy. Instead of fighting back or working to get ahead, you are a person of peace. Instead of being anxious or frustrated when things slow you down, you have lasting patience. Instead of mocking or cutting people off, everything you say and do is marked by kindness. Instead of sinful selfishness, your life is marked by goodness. Instead of being pulled around by your emotions, you are rooted instead in faithfulness to God. Instead of forcing issues, you become known as a person of gentleness. And instead of chasing temporary satisfaction or comfort, you walk in self control. Practicing the presence of God produces the fruit of the kingdom of heaven now. We live in a world full of people who are desperate for life. But God is the air that we breathe. Are you breathing? We are pulled around by every kind of teaching and distraction. But God is the good ground that we can root our lives into. Are you rooted? We strive for satisfaction, and we grow bad fruit that never lasts. But God is the farmer who produces fruit that never withers. What kind of fruit are you growing? Pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. Which of those three questions pulls at my heart the most today? Are you breathing? When you feel distance between you and God, or when you return to awareness of his presence, you can pray, God, I know you are with me. And then continue your day aware of God's presence. Are you rooted? When you are just going through the motions or you feel negative feelings about your work or your life, you can pray, God, I root myself in you now. And then continue your day in partnership with God's presence. What kind of fruit are you growing? when you are tempted to react negatively to a situation, or you feel the urge to build a life for your own comfort and glory, you can pray, God, grow your fruit out of my life. Then continue your day practicing to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Pray it all together, intentionally short, easy to memorize and repeat. That would sound like, God, I know you are with me. I root myself in you now. And grow your fruit out of my life. In fact, let's pray that together right now. We would pray, God, I know you are with me. I root myself in you now. Grow your fruit out of my life. Amen. Over the next Three weeks, we're going to spend more time talking about the practice of the presence of God. I, I'm actually really excited about this series, but today we're going to end our time before we move on to next Sunday and get ahead of ourselves. We're going to pause for another practice, another ancient practice, in fact, that will help to increase our awareness of God's presence. That practice is something that we do together here at Life Church on the first Sunday of every month by tradition you would know this practice by the word communion. Now, if when you walked in today, you were offered a communion cup, then you're all set and ready to go. If you were not given a communion cup because you missed uh, the bowl on the way in, Espy's in the back and all you need to do right now, if you wanna take communion with us, you are welcome to do so. Would you just put a hand up in the air if you didn't get a communion cup? Espy, there's a couple people right here. Yeah, you got it. Uh, And Espy will come by and give you a communion cup. now. Um, friends at home, we welcome you to participate along with us in taking communion, um, and so we are, we are welcoming you into this moment. How we're going to do this today is we're going to take each communion element individually. I'll just lead us in a, in a quick reflection, and then we are going to pray that same prayer uh, as a response to each of our communion elements today, and this will be how we will wrap up our service. When we're done taking communion, I'd be honored to get to pray a blessing over your life, and then we will be dismissed. Uh, I'll just give you another moment to get your communion elements ready. Really, I'm stalling for time while I try to open this cup without spilling juice on my shirt. I did it. Take another breath, right where you're at. Aware of the presence of God, rooted in Christ, committed to growing the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, as we hold this cracker, representing your body, that you allowed to be broken for us. So that we could experience healed relationship with God. We say thank you. And would you, I'm going to pray out loud. You can repeat it with me if you want, or you can take a beat and pray it when you're ready. But would you pray this prayer that's on the screen again? And when you have prayed, you eat. Embracing and being grateful for the presence of God. God, I know you are with me. I root myself in you now. Grow your fruit out of my life. You're welcome to eat. The blood of Jesus is like the currency of the new covenant. His blood was shed for our purification, for our forgiveness of sins. So we'll pray, and we will drink. God, I know you are with me. I root myself in you now. Grow your fruit out of my life. You are welcome to drink. would love to give you another moment to, in your seat, right where you're at, and right where you are in your walk with Jesus, to say anything else, handle any business, I'll give you another moment just of a quiet prayer, and even if that business is, God, thank you. Pray this blessing over you and then we will be done for the day and when we are done i'm just going to ask um, if Pastor Mark and uh, SB, if the two of you just would be available up here, if anybody needs anything of prayer uh, to pray about, to talk with anybody about today, uh, those two will be here. Elizabeth, will you just be a third person up here as well? Um, we'll just have three people up here for you today to come and talk and pray with after service. And I would just love to pray this blessing over you. Um, in fact, will we stand before the Lord if you're physically able to stand as we conclude this gathering? Let's say together one more time, thank you to the Lord. Can you just put that in your own? Mouth, we say thank you to you, God. Thank him for his presence today, God. We are grateful that you are here, that you've never not been here, but God, thank you that you welcome us into your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, that we can root our lives down into you, and thank you for the fruit of the kingdom of heaven, that you would grow out of our lives. And so, life church and friends, I pray this blessing over you. May the eyes of your understanding be opened to see God in all places that you go. May your spiritual lungs be filled with his presence, and may your breathing him in bring you rest and peace. May your roots grow deep down into Christ, and may your life grow the fruit of the Spirit 100-fold. May you be so blessed. And as you practice the presence of God, May you be a blessing. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday night for Foursquare Path.